Hey, this is Stu. Sorry to disappoint with this week's episode. I know we promised y'all a big fancy guest star. Um, my buddy uh, had a work event come up last minute because we're very, getting very close to the election. So he was unable to join us for commentary on In Excelsis Deo. But you can still look forward to me and Dave talking your earballs off about it. And hopefully Logan will be able to join us on a future episode. So enjoy. That's going a little bit too far. So love me. Hello, and welcome again to an episode of More Like the Worst Wing. I'm your first host, Stu. And I'm your second host, Dave. Today we'll be discussing the 10th episode of the seminal TV show, The West Wing, this episode being entitled In Excelsis Deo. It is an Emmy winner. Um, This particular episode won Aaron Sorkin and Rick Cleveland the Best Primetime Writing Emmy, and one Richard Schiff, the actor who plays Toby Ziegler, a Best Supporting Actor Emmy, in conjunction with another episode we already covered, Five Votes Down, which I don't honestly even remember what he did in that one. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. This that sort of... This a, sort that of, wasn't a Toby-heavy one. This one's a Toby-heavy one, obviously. Yes, absolutely. But, but and this sort of not. sets the stage for what was five years of the Emmys being the West Wing award show. Yeah. From here on out. And uh, <laughs> you have a note here that uh, I've recently watched this too, and I'm totally with you. Uh, you want to give a shout out to the underappreciated little movie. Uh, I think it was an HBO movie actually called the Pentagon Wars, mm-hmm. um, where Richard Schiff basically plays Toby, except a general, <laughs> um, yeah. which, which is good. Cause that really is what he, and it's, uh, there's like a, just go to YouTube and look up the Pentagon Wars. And there's this 10 minute scene about the, the Bradley fighting vehicle that is just so perfect and encapsulates everything wrong about the military industrial <laughs> complex in like 10 minutes and ends with them playing like the national anthem while like American flag and the Bradley rolls out and it's like it's so sorry it's so perfect I had to gush yeah, it, it, it's really it's really good and I mean again Richard Schiff is a very talented actor so yes it's really funny to watch kind of the deadpan that he brings even to the role as Toby he's, yeah into a, into a satirical uh, role in that movie. Yeah, he's very, very good. But anyway, blowing past Ooh. that, and let's talk yeah. about the actual episode we're here to discuss. Um, so this is a Christmas episode. Uh, hmm. It takes place around Christmas, um, and the White House is dealing with the logistics of you know planning the big White House Christmas, which has basically become a celebrity event in and of itself. Uh, so we open with them around the tree, and they're discussing logistics about all the Christmas stuff and whatever, and <laughs> the camera is basically doing the political equivalent of the Michael Bay sweep around the explosion yes. shot. Yes. Uh, yes. Like you can see, you it's can slightly see it's shooting slower, from... and it's yeah. a little classier than Michael Bay, but it is essentially Michael Bay. Like, you're, you're seeing shots of Will Smith from his waist with squibs going off around him, but spinning, and like, but it's very much, and I, I noted, it's like, it, it is actually appropriate to the scene because it's taking in the majesty of the Christmas-themed decorations that are in the White House. Right. And I was, I don't even, this doesn't even really enter my brain anymore these days, but theming television shows 
to a time of year. Yeah, it's a very 90s affect, you know, like all the sitcoms had a Christmas show and a Thanksgiving show and then like maybe even a New Year's show and a Valentine's Day show and like, you know, every major holiday that hit during the TV season was represented on most major like sitcoms or even, you know, procedurals or shows like this. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, aside from the obvious discrimination against what is it like probably 25 percent of american people who don't celebrate right this holiday it's just so bizarre to spend i don't know if i was if i was budgeting a production like this why why if i'm looking at this i'm like this has absolutely nothing to do with right and they do the waste West a, Wing. they waste a fair amount of time on just kind of like standard christmassy stuff but i guess mm-hmm. they sort of tie it in with the theme too and it's I don't know. It's about the holidays. We'll we'll <laughs> dig more into it. But that's just the opening bit. So then they get into a little squibble about whether we're entering the new millennium on 2000 or not. <laughs> Toby is technically correct, the best kind of best correct, kind of when correct. he tells them that it doesn't start till 2001. I remember this being a hot topic of debate amongst my high school <laughs> because yep. I hung out with the cool kids. <laughs> hey, so did I, man. It was all, no, you're wrong. You know, it's actually like the millennium is not is 1,000 years long and it starts in 1901 or whatever. And right. Exactly. So... That was, and it's just fun because I remember Y2K and how everybody was going to die. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was, All the missiles were, were going to pl- launch. Planes were going to fall out of the sky <laughs> yep, because yep. dates changed. Oh, it was adorable. Um, so if we find out also CJ's Secret Service codename is Flamingo, which she hears an agent mention as she's walking along. is like, wait, what? What? <laughs> She does play Big Bird at one, or like hang out with Big Bird at one point. In they the make show, awkward I think. Big Bird jokes uh, <laughs> later on with the, when the Muppets show up, but that's a discussion for that episode. I just wanted to note that here. So now we get into the real meat of one of the major episode plot lines, which is that Toby gets a call from the DC police saying they want him because they found his business card on a dead homeless man who died of exposure sleeping on a bench last night in the uh, War Memorial. Uh, part of the National Mall. Yeah, so Toby shows up and he's like, and Lance Reddick is there playing a ah! police lieutenant number two, you know. This so is, great. This is pre his role in The Wire? I'm, I'm, uh, this would be 99 or 2000. So pre his role, because The Wire was like 2001 to 2006, yeah. right? Yeah, so, so yeah. this would be before that then. Yeah, so anyway, Lance Reddick rules. Um, but you, the whole setup of this scene Toby is showing up and he doesn't know why. Right. And the police captain's just like, oh, well, I don't care. There's just this homeless guy who had your business card. Right. And you just get this surge and sway of, uh, great word, thanks, fellow poster, saccharine music being just like, we identify with this dead guy just because he's a fucking Korean War veteran. Well, there and, is. Well, not only that, I want to point out here that Detective Lance Reddick was totally willing to let this situation just like fly out the window until Toby recognizes a tattoo the man has which then informs Toby that he was served in Korea and is a veteran uh so this is really like the neoliberal you know fantasy of my smartness made something happen <laughs> and and it's the morality play again we talked about this last week where it's like all of a sudden this particular instance matters right. because of some technocratic deep trivia knowledge or like I personally have the opportunity to exercise my power over this situation. Never mind that this is 
probably happening on an endemic level. Right. Yeah, and so a big thing here is, and this is something we've taken the show to task before, like with uh, Charlie's parents during the hurricane, of using an individual to basically wrap up and fill in and sum up a, a whole systemic issue. So here we have this man is, you know, oh, isn't it terrible how we treat veterans because this one guy. Uh, but we're not actually going to talk about any of the systemic problems about it. We're just going to fix this one situation. And when I say fix, I do not really mean fix. And I'm going to get real <laughs> we'll, mad we'll about that when we get into that. So we then kind of open up. There's a little bit of a, uh, a twist in here with the ongoing kind of threat of the Lillian Field accusations that the White House is on drugs. Um, yeah, this is sort of our C plot of the episode. <laughs> fucking um, Josh comes up with this just spectacular idea to hit up Lori. Um, for dirt. Sam's, Sam's sex worker girlfriend, basically. For <laughs> dirt for dirt on her clients. I think they're just friends at this point. I don't think they're sleeping together. Well, either way, this contact that they have, and even Leo <laughs> mm-hmm. is like... Are you Josh? Nuts? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> are you insane? And like this is this is definitely where Josh is being written as Rahm Emanuel because this is what the writers think like a dirty political trick is instead Absolutely. of just instead of just being a real stupid fucking thing to do. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll get to that in a bit, and then so the other uh, major plot of the episode or the other issue brought up in the episode is uh, hate crime legislation um cj gets a uh, item about a 13 year old kid that was uh beat to an inch of his life and is in critical condition uh and the people who did it were you know calling him you know gay slurs and things like that and it was clearly a hate crime um and then spoiler alert the kid will die later in the episode yeah and this is i mean for those who are completely not in tune with American history. This is pretty much a reference to what was topical at the time. Uh, the Matthew Shepard case yes. where it is, I mean, it, it boiled down in almost exactly the same way. Um, a young gay man being beaten within an inch of his life and then dying. Yes. Um, as a result of essentially it was gay bashing at the time. And you, so yes, a hate, a hate crime basically. And the, right. the white house now gets to, I guess, deal with this. And the immediate reaction is, I think the phrase I wrote down was to revisit legislative options, engage reactions. Right. Uh, well, they, they get to there. Um, and apparently they already had some hate crime legislation in like working or in committee or something like that. And so CJ's thinking of like, well, we're going to have to, you know, get that going up to speed now. Um, and then Leo is basically saying, um, we can just kind of chill on that for the, for the time being. <laughs> yeah, the, the political wins are not right, even though they're like a person was just killed. <laughs> yes. Um, so those are, those are our main topics, uh, for the episode. Um, let's take a quick break and then we'll start getting into each of them. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, Toby's plot line here. So, Toby figures out this guy's a marine and he deserves a military funeral in uh, in Toby's in Toby's mind, um, uh, or he deserves something. But what he's sticking with is military funeral, I guess, above all else. So he goes to find um, if this man had any family. Uh, he goes to the uh, uh, the 
memorial where he died, asks the guy who who works there. He says, yeah, he probably hung out with these homeless people. So Toby goes to hang, ask them. He finds out the guy has a brother who is still alive. Uh, the brother is a little slow in terms of being mentally challenged. And Toby does his best to try to explain to the brother that uh, his, his brother has died and was a veteran and deserves a military funeral. Uh, the whole conversation is just super awkward. Yeah. Uh, because, the, okay, the writers didn't have to make this man <laughs> slow, okay? They chose to make this man slow. Um, and it's just, it's this way of portraying, like, look how, look how, like, tortured and conflicted Toby is about having a to do this isn't it terrible for him isn't he such a good man and it's just like you could be doing so much to help this man in front of you right now you are a power as he as he He says says he says i'm a powerful person yes toby you are a powerful person you know people who run section 8 housing who could get this man a home you know people who run the social security administration who could get this man social security survivor benefits you know people who run the veterans affairs who could get this man's health checked out you know people who could get this man a social worker do something for this man in front of you toby instead of like and it's just he tries to give them money which is oh my god which is like Like, the the dumbest uh, most again most liberal thing it's like oh here you guys go here's some cash like here's 200 bucks it's all and it's like it's all the money i have on me and then the writers have them fucking give the money back God, like, <laughs> because they're so noble and they don't actually need it. Yes, these are you know? these are these are good upstanding homeless folk here this who aren't out for charity. This is the framing the episode puts: is that they're fine, okay? They have some volunteers there who are handing out hot soup, and they've got a trash barrel fire, and they've got a place under the bridge, and they're fine. They're just, you know, they, they, this is their version of a home, you know. Even, they're not homeless; they have a home. <laughs> like, it's under the bridge. Even though one of them just fucking died of exposure. <laughs> like, oh, and you're in fucking Washington D.C. where it gets fucking freezing at night in the winter. Uh, I'd like to. I also like to point out here that our homeless man was found dead on a bench, and it's darkly apropos that these days he wouldn't be found there because benches are being designed with spikes and shit so that they're not uh, pleasant to sleep on anymore. Oh, and uh, because that's the hell world we live. Oh, in. and I'll be I'll be damned if any Capitol policeman would let a bum spend more than right. an hour on a bench unmolested. Yeah, yeah, like you know we're gonna roust those motherfuckers because they're they're you know poisoning the the landscape of the mall. Jesus Christ. So it's just the the framing this episode takes towards the homeless. And, you know, speaking of which, in case any listeners are wondering what's the solution to homelessness, uh, just give them homes. Uh, Utah's been doing it for a while, and it's working out fantastic. Uh, they literally have a program where they just give homeless people homes and they give them a social worker and they give them, you know, some some assistance. And then lo and behold, they turn their lives around and they're not homeless anymore because they have a stable life situation. And the everybody is all up in fucking arms about how we're going to pay for this. Well, first of all, that's fallacious framing to begin with because the government creates money. But anyway, and then it's like the increase in the military spending side of the budget for this year alone not not the right. total military budget the delta year over year allocated to a broad spectrum housing like alleviation policy would eliminate homelessness in the country 
There would be no more homeless people if we spent 24 to $30 billion on, you know, creating homes. Right. Because that's a fucking shitload of homes. Like, one F-35 will build, like, a thousand houses. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. And not to mention that we already have perfectly fine homes sitting empty because some banker wants it that way. Exactly. Um... Oh my god. So the, the whole framing this episode takes of just like, oh, but we threw a military funeral, so now it's fine. It's over. The problem's solved. Like, it's just super gross when, like, you know, funerals are for the living. You know, it's nice that the brother got to see his his dead brother buried well or whatever, but he still has problems. After that funeral, he's still a slow man living under a bridge. And you know, someone needs to help this man. Wouldn't wouldn't you have liked to instead of having a nice military funeral, have your brother still be alive? Yeah, or, you know, to help out his brother, yeah, both take, of whom take are homeless. Actions that that would prevent this kind of thing from, uh, from future people dying of exposure. Um, it is. Oh my god! It's. I, it was like it was palpably awkward to watch yeah. this scene in retrospect. It's supposed to be this kind of like it's presented as like this voyeurism, sort of an adventurism within the show because you know, oh, Toby's going across the tracks to the wrong side right. of town. Yeah, he's out to of interact the with the you, you know, know the the common folk or whatever. But the. That's the again, as almost like it, the show is stepping on its own dick here because the only people who are portrayed in any sort of humanizing light are the people that were supposed to be like, oh, that's the bad crowd, you know, like the, these people are, and and there is, and I was saying this to you before we started the show, it's like any non sociopathic writer would be like taking his typing fingers off the keyboard here and being like, wow. The cognitive dissonance as I create this script is causing my brain to shut down. <laughs> like, yeah, but uh, cocaine apparently fixes that yeah, reaction. Yes. Not old Aaron. Good old Aaron's got a lot of drugs to help him get over the fundamental contradictions within his worldview. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then finally this, this whole wraps around where... Uh, Toby had to use the president's name to arrange this funeral, which, first off, why? Why? Toby is certainly powerful enough to use his own name to arrange a funeral. He could just call up the, you know, whoever his contact is in the military branch and be like, hey, who do I talk to about veteran funerals? It's like, what's up? I'm like number seven on the org chart in the West Wing. He could have what Ginger or like... Bonnie, Bonnie do that yeah. for him. <laughs> you know, like, uh, but then he gets in sort of trouble for it, where the president's like, hey, apparently you used my name to arrange a funeral don't you think this will make all the homeless veterans come out of the woodwork and toby gets his big line of we should only hope sir yeah and as if as if that fixes the problem and and as if he has not spent the entire rest of the show ignoring that being like well what about what about the non-veteran homeless people Right. That, that you literally just interacted with. That you were dealing with. Yeah, shouldn't you be going back like, holy shit, you know there's like a homeless group like a couple miles from the White House? That's probably, <laughs> that's some bad optics. We should fix that. Yeah, even at the most kind of uh, like ruthless cutting yeah. analysis of it, it's like, even actually, this is a problem. Don't go full human empathy level. <laughs> of just like, hey, this is some bad, you know, Mandy should be complaining about this instead of what she ends up complaining about this episode, which we'll get into uh, in a different well, segment. And, and so the, the episode closes out on this sort of 
sweeping montage of the choir in the white the, the boys choir the child's choir in, yeah. in the white house singing little drummer boy which is a in case you don't know a well-known christmas carol um as the military funeral happens you see the the 21 gun salute over the casket and all this stuff and just the juxtaposition is so toby keith's america number one I again I was I was smashing that mute button because it is just so fucking again saccharine and yes. bloodless just to be like you should feel this way because yeah. USA Yeah, it's all the subtlety of a sledgehammer being used <laughs> yeah. here in terms of writing tools um it just hammering you with the emotions rather than letting them play out. Um Yeah, because so why would we why would we think about this? We're just here to consume right <laughs> uh so yeah so that wraps up that plot line for the most part now let's talk about uh some of the others including the hate crime legislation uh and also the president's shopping trip <laughs> <laughs> so kind of the they're, they're threaded throughout this episode there's a bit about the concern over um this hate crime that is clearly a matthew shepherd reference as i mentioned the yeah yeah, as i mentioned the first the first reaction of the staff is to be like oh let's cool our jets here we don't want to do anything extreme um about this take on it yeah yeah and so okay so there's actually this really and i i I notice it there's a scene when we're introduced to the boys choir that i just mentioned uh singing in the white house it is first of all the scene just like really sucks it's really dumb and bad because we waste i wrote down we waste 120 of our 2600 seconds on this throwaway president bartlett loves kids vignette where he's joking around with them and doing this thing and what they're trying to do with the boys choir i believe or what a good writer would be trying to do with the boys choir is set up the contrast with the victim of the hate crime whose name is lowell lydell as a child, because the staff comes in and interrupts him interacting with the children's choir to say, hey, Lowell D- Lydell just died of his injuries, so we have to do this. And it is very much made explicit in the technique of the show, but it is not set up initially to take that tack because they just say, hey, there's a 17-year-old who, who got you know beat to death for being gay, period. Right. We're yeah. going to discuss that. And then later they, they don't like make any emotional connection to the fact that it is it was a child that was killed right. for being gay. And they really try and kind of, you know, stumble over it a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so CJ, CJ thankfully sort of gets the correct view here where she's she is the one who is pro, you know, passing mm-hmm. hate, some some form of hate crime legislation as a response of saying, hey, society, this is not OK. You know, we're going to judge you extra wrong for this. It's worse than just like killing someone because they cheated on your wife. You know, it's it's and well, I think we put that view in, in Leo's mouth where right. he says, uh, Leo, you know, being the good old white boomer stand in, he is like he says, we can't legislate what people think thought crime, or yeah. thought, this thought crime that everybody seems to be concerned about when actually it's I, I don't I didn't I, I, I kind of got my metaphors twisted up here where it's just like but isn't that usually what the wrong people are concerned like you're literally right. espousing the 
alt-right, like, neo-Nazi viewpoint here, Mr. Almost. Chief of Staff. Almost. To the in President the, of the United States. Yeah, this <laughs> this idea that we can't, like, you know, we can't look into someone's heart and heart of hearts and determine if they are truly being bigoted when they did whatever terrible action they did is ridiculous and is something that... Uh, just comes up constantly of like, well, you can't know they were racist. Like, sure, they were hanging a black man and yelling the N-word, but like, how can you really know? Yeah. And And it's it's ridiculous. Well, and so they make, the show makes it explicit by putting that viewpoint also in the mouth of Danny Kincannon, the reporter who is concerned about primarily, you know, as as a stand-in for like freedom of the press and, you know, your your communication uh, bill of rights type of stuff. But in this context, he just sets it up as it's like, oh, it's straight up the marketplace of ideas, which is a yeah. fucking garbage concept. Yeah. That like it's like these things don't need to compete with each other. One of them is morally repugnant and right. needs to be stamped out, which even your neoliberal sham of hate crime legislation would take great strides towards doing. Right. Exactly. Um yeah, there are, you know, other countries can manage to pass hate speech legislation or, you know, hate crime legislation just fine. This idea that it's like somehow anti-freedom of speech to have a hate crime law is ridiculous. Uh, and I'm glad that, you know, the show, I'm not, the show ultimately just kind of leaves it up to like, well, CJ and Danny will debate it during their date, I guess. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah, and I mean... This is something the show likes to do a lot of not actually answering any <laughs> not actually following up raises. on questions that come up. Yeah. So, but and there's also a piece where Danny, I think he says some, or no, it may have been Leo. Either one of the people says that um, one murder isn't any worse than another murder, which right. in certain contexts, I feel like is a is a good take because I do not wish to, I would not wish to devalue anyone's life of course versus versus another's however this has nothing to do with a punitive justice system this is about defining what is acceptable in a morally upright society this is defining our laws as to so make a social statement that this sort of thing is not tolerated in our society at any level correct yeah you know that's the point and and the the idea that they focus on this potential legislation as doing just being like, well, we're going to punish hate crimes more is completely off the mark. Right. You know, they it's, frame, it's they frame it in a very neoliberal kind of way yeah, of like, absolutely. this is the only, uh, the only way to deal with this. <sighs> yeah. So that's my piece on the hate crime stuff. You know, it, it got me a little worked up so we can yeah, move on. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's then move on to our C plot of the episode, which is so to distract from the fact that Leo took pills, um, which, by the way, Sam Sam has a nice little moment where he goes, he was high when he was running the Department of Labor. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> turns out it's not that hard to chop, Sam. <laughs> and considering the Department of Labor, of Labor doesn't do a whole lot for laborers these days. <laughs> <laughs> not having the hardest day at the office when you're there, you know, deregulating the NLRB. And... All right, I made it legal to uh, not pay overtime for 60-hour work weeks. Uh, time cool to pop tips, some pills no problem. Pop some pills. And uh, turn on Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, 
<laughs> so, to, sorry, we got away with that one. Um, so to distract from the Leo's pill-popping issue, they want to go to Lori and be like, hey, Lori, let us know every single Republican that's ever hired you, and that way we can come out and say, all these Republicans hired a sex worker. Scandal! And it'll distract from the problem we're having. Uh, Lori Ugh. correctly sees this as the most cynical, awful, and not only that, stupid uh, political move that it is, and tells them both to kindly fuck off forever. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> Josh, uh, who offers her money to do this as well, which is just super gross. Ooh, and I mean, you are, I think your observation about um, how she is portrayed in this episode. Yeah, so uh, she's, she, they catch her in a brief moment where she's in, uh, just freshly showered and is in a bathrobe uh, as opposed Because to it's the, not explicit enough yeah, that we've like, been talking about her. we're sexualizing her, her work. Uh, we have to make it explicit. Uh, again, you know, you have to consider that the writers could have had her in any sort of state. They, they could have met up at a put, restaurant. Yeah, they, they chose to put her in a bathrobe. You always have to think of that. Yeah. Um, well, and the, so, the, the, the argument of them being like, well, my my friend is going to suffer, and this, like, the, oh, I think they've literally used, they used the word end, career ending. Yeah. Or, like, no, you, Josh, just, yeah. Josh is having an existential nightmare because a powerful white cis man might lose some of his power. And it's it's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Never mind and, that they are functionally, it, it's unspoken, but they are functionally threatening. Effectively. A, effectively threatening a white woman sex worker. Eff- effectively. Well, uh, bribing more than threatening, but either way. Well, I think um, it's I think it's unspoken that they have that lever of power. Sure. Should they should they opt to utilize it? Oh, of course, it? of course. Um, so th- thankfully, the show at least goes out of its way to be like, this was stupid. Uh, Josh and Sam are not right. Lori is right. Uh, she gets the last you know the last word, which, as I've said before, is this show's way of shorthanding who is correct in a situation. Um, and Leo correctly reams them out as well for such a stupid, stupid maneuver. Uh, again, I feel like this is something where, you know, Josh was based off Rahm Emanuel, and I think this is what, like, a political hack writer thinks a Rahm Emanuel would do. Um, like, this is the kind of sleazy move that a Rahm would pull, but, like, I think Rahm is smarter than this, oh, it's, to it's be very, it's, frank. it's incredibly, it's a, it's a very puerile view of, like, oh, well, I, I got a big club here, and I'm gonna use it because I'm a I'm a big political man or whatever. And it is very, uh, it's a, it's a first order set of thinking, which is anybody who's a professional political operative, one would hope evaluates the consequences of their actions outside um, of a vacuum. (laughs) Yeah. And then also just kind of from a 2018 eyes perspective of just, this is so quaint, you know, (laughs) a a pill popper and some Republican house representatives who have engaged a hooker. Oh, how quaint. (laughs) Yeah. Like the the administration ending level scandals here. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, This I also, this idea that like, it's going to like guaranteed for sure kill Leo. Of Mm. course, spoiler alert ends up not being true because the scandal does come out and he's fine. Of course he's fine. He's a rich, white, politically connected man. He's he's going to be fine forever. Yeah, and the we also get a little bit more of the um, the undeserved veneration 
of Leo within the administration. Yes. Because yeah. he, so sure, he drops like, he drops like one bomb in this episode, but he also kind of backs it up by doing the, the shitty, like the, the shitty boomer thing again. But it's also very much Donna there. There's whole, her only part in this episode is Donna is back up. Leo. Exactly. Is, is expressing her devotion to Leo. When yes. I think she says like, if it was any one of us in trouble, he would go to the mattresses, Right. For, on our behalf. But as I recall from last episode, Leo was actually the first one to offer to place <laughs> the staff in trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> when, yeah. when William Field's accusations comes out. It's just yeah. the, the presumption of him being a good dad yeah. is very much, it is tied into a fundamental identity for the character that is not adequately established. Yeah. You know, and in terms of character actions, this, you know, we see him being curmudgeonly about having to sign Christmas cards. You know, we don't, (laughs) we don't really see this, like, we're told, it's, it's a show don't tell problem, isn't it? So, you know, we're told that Leo is loyal. We're told that Leo will go to the mattresses for any of them if they were in trouble, but we don't see that. You know, we haven't, we do, I think eventually the show does get some of those moments, but as of right now, we're only 10 episodes in and we haven't seen Leo go to the bat for anyone, really. Yeah, and you can, you can almost tell that they are, I would, I would think that they are deliberately reserving him as a, um, as like a power player for when it is, I I guess, more of a crisis that's been established. Because frankly, so far we haven't had any particularly crucial moments with any of the with any really. of the administration. No, you nothing know. has been too so big, we, we considering the considering both you and I know the places this show goes and how sure. big things do get, yes, I can you know, we can say nothing that major's happened. It hasn't necessarily gone down that road of him needing to step in and utilize whatever presumptive influence he wields. Right. But it's just like it seems it seems heavily awkward at this point in retrospect of the rest of the show to be like, wow, Leo is kind of just uh, Leo's like almost in the wind, right? So far we, for this season, yeah. And it's also weird that you know both Josh and Sam's response here is to do what they think is best for Leo, and it's actively against Leo's wishes. <laughs> against Leo's wishes. Um. So like, <laughs> why don't you just go to Leo and be like, hey, we're your friends. We're here for you. You know, what, what would do you, you like us, us to, to, do? to do? That would have been the nice thing to do here. Yes. Um, so, I mean, throughout the rest of the episode, we do get a couple of good character moments. I mean, CJ, as always, steals the goddamn show whenever of she's course. on on screen. She, she gets in an awkward conversation. I can't remember the topic of with Sam. Yeah, um, it's about no, it's about the flamingo codename thing. Oh yes. So mm-hmm. she finds out that uh, there's a little bit of a running gag where she finds out her secret service codename's flamingo, and then starts asking all the other characters like, "Do you think that's a weird codename, flamingo?" And Sam's like, "I think flamingos are beautiful birds." And she's like, "No, Sam, they're weird birds." And Sam's like, "Um, any way I can get out of this conversation?" <laughs> Yeah, is there a graceful exit possible for me here? <laughs> no? Mm, okay. Yeah, it's a cute little moment. And then, you know, Danny gets a nice little moment with them. Uh, they finally agree to go on a date, which logistically, I don't know how this is going to work, considering mm-hmm. he's a reporter and she's press secretary. Well, and and considering we're worried, about, we're worried about a member of the administration, like, sleeping with a hooker occasionally, like, a reporter 
dating the press secretary. Talk yeah. about administration ending scandals here. Yeah. Like no kidding. The, the um, most the the milk toast scandal. It's fine. Center. They're just having dinner or something. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And they they devote a lot of words to being like this isn't a date. This is right. like a this is like a friendly dinner together out. Totally. Yeah, we'll see how much not of a date it is in later episodes. Um, we, that's uh, all I'll say about that. And the last, I think, we just wanted to talk about um, Mrs. Landingham's... Oh, right. Yeah, little... I almost forgot that bit. Yeah, so when they're talking about... Uh, the, the in, in the context of the dead veteran. Yeah, well, Charlie comes in and goes, Hey, I've never been around the White House. This is his first Christmas in the White House. So he's blown away with all the festivities and the accoutrement and the decorations and whatnot. Uh, and he's just, you know, kind of gabbing about how cool it is. And Mrs. Lanningham kind of has to bring him down by saying, like, uh, I don't like it around Christmas because both my boys were in Vietnam and they died on Christmas Day. Yeah. And she makes it clear that they weren't there to fight. They were medics. Right. They were you know, doctors. They were doctors and enlisted as medics and were there to save people, to help people. And it's a and beautiful so, little moment. But again, mm-hmm. it kind of comes back down to the fundamental problem with this episode, which is that it focuses on individuals instead of the systemic issue. You know, no no consideration is, is made for, oh, wasn't it bad that we gotten that dumb war that made my sons you know (laughs) get drafted and die it's just it's a it's a real shame that happened yeah and it is almost it's almost a negative treatment or a negative testament to the characters themselves because thinking critically about why that happened isn't included in the dialogue or or any of that Right, it's and they're in the just... one p- place in the world where you can actually have that conversation and solve these kinds of issues, and they're not ever going to do it. Yeah, it also and I just I just said it was, it's clearly like it is age appropriate for the character. It is interesting to include the bit, but it seems like it was almost a little bit manipulative because it's entirely oh, it's entirely convenient to the Toby storyline. It is Correct. driving that storyline. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's written in there because it does prop up Toby's storyline. But the actress does such a good job with this, like, small little bit, and Mrs. Lanahan really doesn't get much more character development uh, until two cathedrals. Um, or I guess technically she gets more... Uh, that's post two cathedrals where they flash back to young Bartlett, right? And we meet young Mrs. Lanningham. Oh uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's way down. That's yeah, that's like okay, a clip way, show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's way down, and um, I'll have a lot to say about that episode <laughs> when we get to it, uh, where Lawrence O'Donnell plays his dad. Um, <sighs> Uh, but uh, I think that basically wraps up all we have to say about this particular episode. We hit all the high points, I think. We um, sure did. Um, yeah. And I had a good time discussing it with you. <laughs> uh, and I hope our listeners also enjoyed. Next week, we will be checking out episode 11, uh, which is Lord John Marbury, which wow. should uh, elicit you, some chuckles. From you anyone. knew it without Googling it this time. Shh. You did some research, sir. <laughs> 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 we we don't we don't take kindly to preparation around these parts. <laughs> I just I worked it in seamlessly. It was great. Nice. Um, so that episode, I do recall that 
that character is quite fun, if nothing else. I don't recall the actual specifics other than a lot of foreign policy talk, so that will be something to look forward to. Uh, as always, you can reach us on the Something Awful forums in our thread, or you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. nice. <laughs> uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll look forward to speaking with you next time. Uh, until then, have a good one. We'll talk to you all later. Bye. And all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on a